Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, it largely turned into a risk-off trading session across the grain and livestock complexes as we wrapped up a holiday-shortened trade on Friday. Welcome to Market Talk. Thank you for joining us here on the program today. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and it was a tough one with soybeans, bean oil under heavy pressure, new lows set in Kansas City wheat and Minneapolis spring wheat, and then cattle and hogs under heavy pressure with feeders feeders just breaking hard on the day friday in fact we got down to some of the lowest prices in over seven months in feeder cattle so just a a rough risk-off type trading day across the board on friday we're going to run through closes and get a little analysis here in just a second but then coming up in segment two and three today I'm going to have a conversation with Chad Hart from Iowa State University, extension economist uh, with ISU, and get his thoughts, big picture perspective, uh, get a look at things here in grains and livestock as we're moving past Thanksgiving, we're looking towards the final month of the year. Uh, We got plenty to uh, take a look at and discuss between grains, livestock, outside markets as well. So looking forward to that coming up here uh, with Chad Hart in segment two and three today. And then we'll wrap it up. I'll have a look at some news headlines for you as we uh, get to the end of the show. Some uh, new economic uh, data for the farm sector out. Plus, we'll also uh, take a look at the um, potential cost increase of H-2A farm labor in 2024. Those stories and more coming up at the end of our program today. Well, again, it was largely risk-off in the grain and oilseed trade and in livestock, too. We were led lower by soybeans and bean oil on the session on Friday. We got export sales announced to China Friday morning and unknown destinations, which many would assume to be China, but that did not help stop the barrage of selling as we got 129,000 metric tons sold to China and another 323,400 metric tons to unknown destinations. But Uh, The path of least resistance was largely to the downside. A lot of traders continuing to watch South American weather and even a somewhat drier midday forecast for northern Brazil on Friday didn't help out and put a dent in the selling as uh, the volume very thin on Friday. A lot of traders just staying out of the market to go through the weekend and uh, we'll reassess on Monday, get the latest forecast for South America and more. In, in fact, January beans uh, going down to test a, a support level here, the 1325 area hovering just above it after the close on Friday. That coincides with the 50-day moving average, and then trendline supports about another dime below that. So we are hovering above some key support here after the close on the day Friday. Again, uh, in KC wheat and spring wheat, scoring new contract lows there as well on Friday's session. 
Meantime, we take a look at the corn market. Corn held up okay, I would say, on the day, despite the heavy selling in beans and some of the pressure in wheat and the pressure in livestock trade as well. Uh, corn was down about four to five, but still hovering right above some of the lowest prices of the year. And so that's something that's going to be on the mind of traders definitely as we move forward. Uh, it's just, uh, we'll call it a risk off day, just a rough one. Soil oil prices plummeted at the open on Friday morning and that helped drag beans with it. And part of it was a reaction to a late Wednesday court ruling that provided a setback for the biofuel industry. A U.S. appeals court late Wednesday struck down a Biden administration decision to deny small refiners hardship waivers that exempted them from the biofuel blending mandates. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency had denied nearly all of the outstanding petitions from oil refiners who were arguing that blending ethanol and other biofuels into the fuel that they sell created financial hardship for them. Now, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in favor of the refiners that the EPA had wrongfully made the retroactive decision and said that the EPA could issue waivers if they proved that the obligations caused them undue harm, but the court apparently had a problem with retroactively not allowing the waivers that increases the supply of RINs on the market, although RINs prices are already suppressed. The decision certainly doesn't do a lot to encourage new investment in the renewable fuel sector in the near term, although existing plants will likely continue to move forward. The expectation is that a new lawsuit will be filed, but that all takes time to play out. So we're watching that closely, and that could have been some of the reason that the soy complex just couldn't recover uh, bottom line, though, traders are currently more concerned about demand in a lot of these markets and weather in South America than anything else. And the path of least resistance, again, was just to the downside on Friday. We expected volatility as we wrapped up the week with a holiday shortened session. December options expiration thrown on top of that as well. First notice day Monday. So that's another thing that's playing out in this trade here as we wrapped up the week on Friday and move into next week. And uh, just going to be watching things closely. I think that's all we could do in this grain and oil seed market. And we'll just have to reassess as we get into Monday trading. Meantime, over in the livestock sector, I mentioned a really tough day there. Feeder cattle hitting some of their lowest prices in over seven months. Just not a lot of eyeballs uh, the day after Thanksgiving, seemingly. And uh, the folks that were in this feeder cattle market taking some profit. Export sales were just okay on the beef and pork side, so that, that didn't really help things out either. Getting some snow in western Nebraska, western Kansas, that's going to impact things in feedlot country a little bit as well. And overall, just a, just a sluggish day. Money flowed out of cattle and hogs. Not much in the way of cash cattle activity this uh, past week, and just not a lot of uh, bullishness to excite traders heading into the weekend as we wrapped up Friday's short session. So, Again, just a, a tough one overall with a lot of risk off trade being seen. And let's take a look at some of the closing numbers in grains and limestock from Friday. December corn down five, 463 and three quarters. March corn five lower, 482 and three quarters. Soybeans January 26 and a quarter lower, 1330 and a quarter. March beans down 26 and a quarter, 1348. January bean meal. 330 a ton lower, 434.30. Soybean oil for January down 206 points at 50.65. Chicago wheat, December five and a half lower, 550 at a quarter. March down five and three quarters, 578 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat, December nine and a quarter lower, 605 and a quarter. March down 10 and a quarter, 614. Looking over at Minneapolis, spring wheat for December down 14, 696 and three quarters. March down 13 and a half, 714 and a half. Oats, March 4 higher, 390. Canola was down slightly on the session. We look over at the livestock trade again. 
uh, heavy losses here. December live cattle down 405, 174.82. February down 410, 171.17. April live cattle down 410, 173.55. Feeder cattle January 777 lower, 219.35. March down 740, 222.72. April feeders down 710, 226.80. And in hogs, December down 32, 67.95. February lean hogs 280 lower 6902. April hogs down 307 7550 on the day Friday. So again, pretty risk off across the board as we wrapped up a holiday shortened session with noon closes seen on Friday. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk. Again, we are going to uh, try and look at things big picture, look at the main headlines that have been impacting these markets and will continue to impact these markets as we move forward and towards the month of December and the end of the year. We're going to sit down with Chad Hart, economist with Iowa State University and ISU Extension. He's going to join us as we talk about the markets and get analysis. That is on the way next as we're back with more here on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Let's get it. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. Well, as we work our way through a holiday week, it's always quite interesting to see the trade action as we work through Thanksgiving and a shortened session on Friday. But overall, we kind of have the uh, factors in play that we know are going to be in play here in this market trade. And so let's break a few of those down as we're nearing the end of the year. Joining us for a conversation, Chad Hart with Iowa State University. Always good to talk with our friend, Mr. Hart. Chad? good to talk with you as i I mentioned and uh thanks for making some time to join us here hope you're doing well it's my pleasure to be with you jesse hope you're doing well as well i'm doing good doing good and uh, this market trade's been quite interesting here as of late a lot of a lot of volatility from south american weather it seems like we've we've re-entered a weather market but it's all tied to the southern hemisphere and soybeans have kind of been the uh the driver in this complex uh, that have had the most bullish story, I would say Uh, it's just a, it's an interesting time of year when you get around the holidays and you get a few different stories here or there that can really kind of propel these markets. Can it Chad? It really can. And I'd say this is a change from say five or 10 years ago. When you think about this time of year in the soybean market a decade ago, it was still concentrating on finishing up our harvest. What does our production look like? You look now at this time around, it's all about South American weather. How's the planting going on down there? And in fact, trying to decipher what's happening in the northern part of the country versus the southern part of the country. And it's because of the tremendous growth in production that they've had over the past 10 years. I mean, when you look at where Brazil has come from, where they used to be number two in production, well behind us, to now they're number one in production worldwide in a good 40 to 50 million tons more than we do. I mean, it's incredible the growth that they've had. It is definitely incredible the growth that they've had. Uh, And I think about some of the shifting deck chairs. You and I have talked about this before with uh, China going to Brazil more to buy soybeans and then 
some of the problems in Argentina we've had with drought and leading to maybe some more crush here in the U.S. and U.S. becoming more of a, a soybean meal exporter, et cetera. There's a, there's a lot of dynamics that have been shifting and at play here in this soy complex worldwide here the last couple of years, Chad. There definitely has been. You know, when you look at USDA's longer-term projections, they continue to show that, you know, the idea of the growth and crush that we're seeing here domestically looks to continue on for the next several years as we look towards more biofuel production coming out of vegetable oils like soybean oil. And as you mentioned, that brings up, you know, what changes do we need to see within the soybean market? We think traditionally of, you know, usually half the soybean crop gets exported, the other half gets utilized here domestically. Well, that buildup and crushing means that, we, yeah, we're going to spend more time and spend more of our soybeans here domestically limiting our potential growth as we're looking at exports. And sort of, as I've described it as, we're moving from a Brazil-type model for soybeans, where you spend the majority of your time and your beans on the export markets, to more of an Argentina style where they they don't want to sell you the beans. They want to sell you the meal or the oil. They want to look at that crush complex and, and give you the products as opposed to the raw ingredient. Speaking of Argentina, that was something that uh, kind of came up in the soybean market too early in the week. Uh, the election of Javier Malay, the far uh, libertarian candidate uh, to president in Argentina, and the talk that he wants to uh, make their economy, get rid of a central bank, and tie us tie it more to the U.S. dollar. And I know th- that could long-term be a little bearish for the U.S. soybean market, it would seem. I, I don't know how much you've examined that situation, but maybe you've heard some of that chatter uh, in the news wires here throughout the week, Chad. Definitely heard it, and it's something that when you think about it, it it's not necessarily bullish or bearish but it just depends upon the situation you're applying it to. And so when you think about what Argentina is talking about doing by moving straight to the dollar, it is eliminating, let's call it a potential source of volatility when we look at the export markets. As it is now when international customers are looking at buying any product from either the U.S. or Argentina, they have to take into account that exchange rate difference between the two. With Argentina linking to the dollar, that disappears. But what that also means is, okay, there were times when we would see the dollar strengthening versus their peso. That tended to hurt us in the export markets. That means that won't happen anymore. But it also means when the dollar gets weaker, we're not getting that benefit versus them either. And so that's sort of the challenge here of it's going to take away that extra source of volatility At the same time, too, though, what it also does is it ties Argentine agriculture to U.S. agriculture because we're all reacting to the same currency risk. Well, in the short run, I know that's, again, kind of a a longer term export type story. In the the short run here, as we wrap it up, harvest uh, soybeans, this market got some pretty good premium in futures. I know some folks are taking advantage of basis and it's been interesting. We got some carry in these markets right now, Chad, and you look at the products, meal and oil inverted here right now or have been inverted. And it's it's quite an interesting dynamic. And I wonder if this is leading to or could lead to before the end of the year, more farmers selling, taking advantage of where the soybean market is at right now here in the U.S., Chad. 
Well, that's the deal. I think the market is trying to entice farmers to, to move those beans into the marketplace as soon as they're willing. Because as you mentioned, the idea is the demand for the products is definitely strong right now. We've been building more of these crushing facilities. Let's face it, if you build a new facility, you want that puppy up and running and running as hard as it can. So there's a definite pull happening right now on the soybean market, trying to get as many beans coursing through the system right now domestically. And we're also seeing a little more export pressure than we have been over the past several weeks, especially now that China has decided to step into the market a little stronger here over the past couple of weeks. That has helped boost our potential sales looking forward there. That feeds in with what we were talking about with the South American market, you know, weather problems down there leading to some additional sales, helping us wrap at the end of the year here on a stronger note for soybeans. And I wonder too, with those China sales uh, and the soy market overall being, you know, fairly propped up, helping out uh, with some of that farmer selling, I would think here in the U.S., but largely feels like some of the China sales, is it just catching us up to where we should be this time of year? Because up to this point, Chad, export sales have just not been that great. They haven't been that great. And I would say, yes, it is just catching us up to where, where I won't say where we should be, but closer to where we'd like to be. And it's not just China. We have seen some additional sales in the countries like Mexico, the European mm-hmm. Union. We're, we're seeing some gathering momentum here when I'm looking worldwide. Because I think part of the issue, and this this is not limited just to soybeans, but this has been a problem across all the ag complex, is that we've had concerns from our international customers about just high prices in general. The inflation scare that we had here in the U.S. was something that was felt worldwide. And so we did see export sales for a lot of commodities fall off over the past year to 18 months. Now we're starting to regain some of those sales back because of the one, lower prices for more commodities, helping buy some of those back, but also some strong need out there. And that's where soybeans really leads the charge. Global demand for beans remains nearly as strong as ever. Corn's been tough uh, here the last couple of months. Soybeans have done their best to kind of pull corn along at times while wheat acts like a boat anchor here. So corn's kind of caught in the middle. It's the best way I can, I could describe it. Uh, you look at corn, though, uh, options expiration happening here uh, to round out the week. And with corn, I, I just feel like that the market has more potential to leak lower than it does to go higher, uh, partly because we got a lot of corn, but also because we just lack any sort of bullish story uh, in this U.S. core market right now, Chad. Well, and I think that's the challenge. Where's the bullish story? Where might it come from? And here, I'll try to, you know, as we're getting into the holidays, let's, I'll try to build some holiday cheer here. If I'm going to look for a spot for that bullish news to come from, I am going to point towards exports. As we talked about with soybeans, we're, we're, you know, we've seen, especially over the past couple of weeks, some definite growth on the soybean side. Well, corn has had that for the past seven weeks. We've been seeing building sales on the export side, getting us back to where we want to be. And so I think that's going to be the potential storyline as we get out into December. If we're trying to pull prices up, it's going to be that export demand that's going to have to lead that charge. Beyond that, 
you're right. The idea is there just really isn't anything out there to grab onto to send us higher. But there are a few things that we can point to that, especially the supply side, that points us lower. Great stuff. We'll continue our conversation with Chad Hart from Iowa State University on the way right after this. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today as we wrapped up the holiday shortened session on Friday. We're having a conversation with Chad Hart from Iowa State University. And Chad, let's stay on the topic of corn here as we continue our program today. It's a different dynamic, I believe, uh, with soybeans. A lot of farmers selling off the combine. That typically happens. Corn, though, I think a lot of folks are more apt to store it. But I wonder, too, I mean, should they be doing something to protect the downside risk here by, you know, they put it in the bin? I mean, I I feel like there's more potential for this corn market to go down. So I I wonder, risk management here, what farmers should be thinking about, Chad? Well, that's the deal. I I think as farmers are looking at their situation, you're right. They are looking to sit on this crop for a little while longer, use that storage on corn because traditionally that's the crop that we store. But you're also right that, yeah, they shouldn't be going in just to sort of store it and forget it for a while and, and bank on that, that carry to carry, you know, take us through here. I think in this case, what the market's sort of offering right now is a potential to put in some price floors, maybe use some options to, like I say, give ourselves a minimum price out there and then hopefully look for that upside potential as we're going forward, but protect ourselves against that downside risk because that downside risk is fairly strong right now. And, you know, as we get into the holidays, if we don't see these continued exports, you know, that continued export growth over time, we could challenge some of the lower prices we saw earlier this fall. Well, and your role, obviously, as an economist, you are well aware of where interest rates are at. And I feel like interest rates are uh, a much bigger conversation in agriculture than they have been in the last several years, Chad. I mean, they're a conversation throughout all facets of our economy, but in ag especially, you think about storage costs and and DP and, and things like that at the elevator and just the the general talk around interest rates that has a big impact on your risk management right now it does because as you're right the idea is i need to take those interest charges into account when i'm looking at storing this crop into the springtime am i going to get enough gain in the carry to help offset those additional costs moving forward now based on what i'm seeing at least you know on where futures are going they're trying to show that carry is building up enough to try to match what we're seeing with these higher interest rates. So the market is giving some indication of trying to reward farmers if they can hold on long enough. But you're right. It's something that we haven't had to consider over the last few years. 
but we definitely need to consider now as we look at utilizing that storage. Not only that, but as we think about next year and building, you know, taking that operating note out, we need to factor interest cost into our production cost for next year, where we maybe ignored that over the past few years. Well, and let's stay on that topic. Talk about that a little bit with me here. Uh, operating notes and, and thinking about making all of our decisions, seed and chemical fertilizer, et cetera, for next year. Uh, a lot of those decisions happen here during the holidays ahead of tax season. A lot of those conversations uh, with our bankers here this year are going to be a little bit different. So, I mean, as you're put on your you know, dig out your economist crystal ball here a little bit for us, Chad. I mean, what are some things that we we want to keep in front of us or what are some questions that we need to ask of our bankers maybe when we go in to sit down here for a year-end wrap-up and prepare for 24? Well, that's the deal. I think we want to be having those discussions now more than ever with those lenders. Laying out just, okay, where do we sit on our cost versus where we see our, our prices laying, laying up right now? What are our opportunities to utilize our working capital, our cash, in the best way possible to not only meet the short-term needs on the farm, but set us up for our long-term goals on the farm? When I'm looking at production costs right now for 2024, I'm going to argue right now what I see is cost very similar to 2023 in total, but we're going to see some inputs that are going to cost more. Others, we're going to see some pullback. We're going to see some cheaper inputs out there in places. Example there, think about what fertilizer's done over the past couple of years. We've seen some tremendous swings there. Um, price, you know, Fertilizer prices are down compared to last year, but they're still elevated compared to an historical average. So that helps balance things off. Seed costs, those tend to march up slowly over time. And I'd say the biggest wild card that we're looking at right now is land. I think this year we will see higher rent costs going into 2024, but that's a category that I would look to see maybe slowing down or maybe even dropping as we move out to 2025 and 2026. Livestock market, I think some of the same similar conversations will be had here with, with folks at year end, uh, you know, especially cattle. Uh, this cattle market futures have come back down quite a bit, have taken a hit with the last, uh, well, definitely the October cattle on feed report, but and the November one relatively friendly to neutral, I would say. But your thoughts, just kind of managing risk here at the end of the year in the livestock markets, cattle first, what would you say to our cattle ranchers out there? Well, that's still, you're right. We have seen a pullback definitely over the past couple of months on the cattle side. And a lot of that is because, let's say the markets are trying to figure out, have we found where the bottom is in terms of the herd size and the drops in production? In fact, one of the biggest things that I'm noticing within the cattle market is, let's call it the large variance in estimates for 2024 and 2025 production. USDA seems to be rather bullish in terms of production as far as they're showing bigger beef production as we get out 2024, 2025 than some of the private estimates that I've seen. But if they're correct on that production, that's what's helping lead to some of these lower prices right now, because that means there's more beef to be had in the marketplace, not necessarily pushing the need for growth 
coming out of one of the smallest herds we've seen in quite some time. How about the hog side? Uh, hogs have been in a peculiar market to trade here the last couple of months. What do you think uh, on the hog side of the equation, Chad? Hogs have been painful just because when you think about one, we've seen you know that gap between futures and cash um, stick out there for quite some time. And then you know with the hog industry, while you look at those futures prices and they look good, we know that the cost side has been historically high limiting any sort of profit potential for the industry. The problem is, is that we see both those patterns maintaining as we look out into 2024. Prices look good, but costs are going to eat through those and lead to some financial issues for the for the industry over time. I know, too, uh, with this protein sector on top of the economy, we have some uh, diseases we're fighting, and I think about HPAI in our uh, poultry turkey flocks here iowa of course is seeing plenty of cases and wonder uh some of the impacts there that could influence the beef and pork industry what do you think chad well what it does do is it definitely scrambles as to the consumer choice and how they respond to the meat counter to higher Mm -hmm. prices overall you know let's face it our consumers have held up pretty well as we've been watching all our protein prices rise over the past couple of years. As we look at HPAI, though, I mean, it's going to create some different challenges between the meats, as especially like when, when we had the outbreaks here in Iowa, it's been more focused on the turkey side. So that's leading to a little bit higher prices there as we're looking into 2024 for turkey. On the other hand, we know hog prices, pork prices have sort of, plateaued, if you will. So it's going to make pork a little more competitive against turkey as we're looking at folks when they walk up to that meat counter. So I think that's for the challenge here is that our consumers, their protein demand is really strong, but it is fungible. It's movable between the meats. Well, great thoughts, Chad. Before we let you go, anything final you'd share or reiterate for folks here as we uh, work our way into the holiday season? Well, I've described the ending of 2023 going into 2024 as sort of a a return to normalcy within agriculture. When you think about the crop side, the last couple of years have been very profitable. And now we're seeing costs rise to match where our prices are, limiting that profit potential early on here. At the same time, too, when you look at the livestock side, cattle's going through the same thing as basically the crops did where pork was already in that economic struggle with costs and prices running in parallel here. And I think that's the challenge for farmers as we go into 2024 is managing those opportunities to capture profits when they're out there and limit the potential losses. Great thoughts. Always enjoy a conversation with Chad Hart, economist with Iowa State University. Chad, Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Once again, really great insight there. Appreciate the time with Chad Hart from Iowa State University. Always good to get his thoughts on the uh, overall market picture, especially during a holiday week like this one where trading can be a little volatile and a little wonky, so to speak. Uh, It's good to just take a step back and get a big picture look at what's going on in the market trade. Overall, grains, livestock, outside markets. So we thank Chad for sharing some time with us here on today's program. 
All right, coming up next, before we run out of time, we're going to take a look at some news headlines, more ac economic data out for farmers. Most states saw growth in net farm income during 2022. We're going to talk about that. The Minneapolis Fed released their third quarter survey results. And also, farmers and ranchers expect to pay more for H-2A labor in 2024. We'll talk about that with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Those stories and more coming up next as we'll be back with more on Market Talk on the way right after the break. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today as we are working towards the end of our program. Thanks to Chad Hart from Iowa State University again for joining us with some market analysis, uh, taking a, a big picture look at things as we wrapped up a holiday week on Friday, get back to normal trading here on Monday. Let's take a look at some news headlines before we run out of time today. The U.S. saw growth of almost 31% in net farm income from 2021 through 2022. The net farm income is a broad measure of farm sector profitability. Researchers with USDA's Economic Research Service used data from the farm income and wealth statistics to classify states into six categories of NFI changes. The five agricultural states with the highest NFI include Texas, which had the highest NFI growth at 65% from 2021 to 2022, followed by Minnesota at 55.7%. Growth in the remaining top five states, including California, Iowa, and Illinois, was also strong. Other states among the top 25 for average uh, net farm income had a wide range of NFI changes from 2021 to 2022. Many showed strong growth, such as Idaho at 116%, Georgia at 104%, Florida at just over 100%, and North Dakota at 76%. However, Kansas and Washington NFI fell 23 and 28% respectively. While heading into harvest in the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Banks District, farmers faced lower incomes because of falling commodity prices and rising production costs. A third quarter survey of ag bankers showed that while incomes fell, the decline wasn't uniform. District-wide, 46% of agricultural lenders said incomes dropped in the third quarter from a year earlier, up from 35% in the second quarter. Now, more than a third of the bankers said farm household spending increased while slightly more than half reported no change. Capital spending also dropped as 35% of the bankers saw decreased investment in equipment and buildings from a year ago compared to 21% who reported increased spending. A Minnesota banker reported, quote, interest rates are slowing down borrowing and capital purchases as cash flows are under more stress, end quote. Now, farm finances remained in good condition despite the negative hit to income. Loan repayment rates held steady. Well, also, the USDA says farmers who hire H-2A laborers next year will be paying higher wages, and in some cases, the increase is large. Veronica Nye, senior economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, talks about the increasing costs of farm labor. USDA's farm labor survey told us that wage rates across the United States in all states and all regions increased in 2023. The Farm Labor Survey tells us that in 2024, farmers in 13 
15 states will pay more than a dollar more per hour to their H-2A employees than they did this year. Farmers in 31 states will pay between 50 cents and a dollar more. Only in six states is the increase for next year less than 50 cents. She says this is a very important survey for production agriculture. USDA's Farm Labor Survey is utilized by the Department of Labor to establish the adverse effect wage rate that growers must pay H-2A workers through the temporary visa program. So these wage rates are really make or break for farmers as to whether or not the wage rates they pay out through the H-2A program are going to be viable for their business. And some regions of the country will see a larger increase in H-2A wage rates than others. Wage rates went up in every region. The smallest increase was for the Corn Belt Region 2, where we saw wage rates rise a quarter, which was a 1.4% increase. The largest percentage increase was in Hawaii. Hawaiians are going to pay $1.49 per hour more next year through the H-2A program than they did this year. Again, that's Veronica Nye with the American Farm Bureau. While the regulatory battles are never truly over for the U.S. cattle industry, but there have been victories over the years. Ethan Lane, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, says 2023 saw a victory in the waters of the U.S. battle. There's no question that the current regulation that was put forward and, and then changed after that Supreme Court ruling is a win for the cattle industry and for farmers by any measure. It eliminates 65% of the potential waters or you know sandy bottom washes or prairie potholes that would have been included in that original rule are now not included or exempt given that new definition or that new structure. But the way they crafted that rule, they failed to define a lot of the important terms in there. You know, that federal nexus component is still a little bit open-ended. That litigation piece is going to continue in, in an effort to make sure that that refinement happens. They're hopeful for a solid final rule to be in place during the next few months. However, other battles continue, including one regarding the Endangered Species Act. You know, this is something that comes back over and over and over again. I mean, you have a broken Endangered Species Act, but an agency in charge of it that refuses to recognize that it's broken. If you had a car with tires that were slashed and you were running on the rims, you would pull over and fix the tire. Almost 50 years into the Endangered Species Act, there's no interest in fish and wildlife in fixing the tire. They're just going to keep running on the rim. And we're seeing that in how they're implementing it with the lesser prairie chicken and this sort of rusty lawn chair split management approach. And there's a 40 in the north and an endangered listing in the south. It's an, an incredibly poorly written rule. A court fight over the Lesser Prairie Chicken is just one of the ongoing ESA battles. We're in court on that one as well with some other stakeholders. We're seeing challenges like that out west. They're trying to reintroduce the grizzly bear to the North Cascades ecosystem in Washington state. We're continuing to fight the gray wolf. The Endangered Species Act is still one of the biggest Achilles heel problems of the cattle industry nationwide. And once again, that is Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. One final thing to share here on the program today before we run out of time. The U.S. Grains Council released its second annual Corn Origins Report, which explores the performance of U.S. corn against corn from other countries in poultry diets. U.S., Argentinian, and Brazilian corn samples were collected from an international feed company in Colombia for use in the study. A study found that birds fed diets with U.S. corn consumed less feed throughout the entire grow-out phase compared to those fed Argentinian or Brazilian corn. 
Now, the lower feed conversion rates of the poultry-fed U.S. corn translated into significant long-term cost savings. Depending upon the number of poultry produced, the savings could be very large. The study was done to address customer concerns about the fragility of U.S. corn and the breakage occurring during the export process. Kurt Schultz, Senior Director of Global Strategies for the U.S. Grains Council, says, quote, We found that U.S. corn, despite its fragility, outperforms other origins in terms of digestible starch, end quote. Well, that is a look at news headlines, and we're out of time here on Market Talk. Thanks for letting us be part of your daily conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.